Hey, Ayush, how's it going? I'm doing pretty good. How are you? Um, pretty good. Uh, but before we get into our main story today, I do have a quick update on that EU situation we were talking about. So we were saying how we were just going to have to, you know, wait and see what they were going to do to respond to Corona. And they have come to a preliminary deal on the response. And it's pretty big on pro-EU integration. So they're... <laughs> Let me turn off buzzing on my phone. <laughs> We're learning, we're learning. It's pretty big on pro-EU integration. Uh, the EU parliament still has to finalize it though, um, but it looks like there's good momentum for that deal. Yeah, and then we also touched on Poland and Hungary like perpetuating alt-right movements in their countries. And apparently the EU parliament is actually cracking down on those nations for suppressing free speech and is actually taking steps to make sure that those nations are getting punished for their actions. So we'll kind of see where that leads to. Yeah, so hopefully uh, those stories go in good directions. Um, but with that out of the way, we can get into, uh, get into today's episode. In case you missed it, get the government out of my Medicare edition. Yeah, and healthcare has kind of been a very convoluted issue in the United States, and it's resulted in a situation where Americans end up paying like significantly more for basic health services than like our counterparts in Europe or even in Canada. And to kind of understand how we got to this point in our healthcare system and how it became this broken, we have to look at like the beginning and what policies we have like pursued in the past few decades that have resulted in like the current state of our healthcare system. Really starting you know, even earlier than the last few decades, you can see that the first time there was really a national, any conversation of healthcare was during the Great Depression and FDR's New Deal programs. They, they, they talked about doing you know, some sort of national healthcare program, but they decided that wouldn't be their priority. And instead they focused more on stuff I'm sorry, my audio is subpar, Ayush. Uh, instead, it focuses more on stuff such as jobs programs and then social security. So, uh, and then World War II kind of halted progress on some of those social programs until after it, Harry Truman tried to create the national healthcare system they had talked about earlier, but he couldn't quite get a majority because Republicans were against it. And then also there were uh, Southern Democrats who were against it as well, mainly because of they didn't like the ability of the government to enact universal programs because they were very dedicated to the idea of states having the power to segregate programs. Yeah, definitely. Because during that time as well, we saw England kind of transition to that universal healthcare system that they currently have. And during this time as well, like England and the United States had very similar political climates, but the only major difference was that we had a very geographical divide in the US, which was the South with Democrats. And they basically halted that kind of system from being implemented while in England, they didn't really have that geographical divide and that ideological divide. So a universal healthcare system was implemented at that time. Yeah, but um, some of the political work that Truman did to start talking about healthcare did eventually come into fruition uh, to a smaller degree with President Lyndon Johnson and um, the creation of Medicaid and Medicare in 1965. And those are really big deals at that time because at that time, 40% uh, of people over 65 were uninsured. And of those 20% actually qualified for Medicaid as well because they were both old, 
over 65 and still in poverty. So it really created a direct improvement for a lot of people. And then later the Clinton administration tried to build on this to finally get the US to universal coverage. But once again, they, their plan, which it never fully got into a bill, so it's hard to argue exactly how good it would have been or not, um, wasn't able to get any support. So instead they just kind of settled for smaller policies because they couldn't get any support for a big one. Yeah, and one of those smaller policies was CHIP, which was a insurance program designed to help children in poverty and children from low-income situations. And I think that it was successful in that now it basically provides insurance to almost 8 million children. And basically the goal was to build a slowly progressing program where eventually we'd get to that point where we'd have a universal healthcare system, but nothing really happened after that until Obamacare. So that CHIP program, while it was successful, it was just like the only program that happened during the Clinton administration in terms of like getting towards that universal healthcare system that he imagined. Yeah, so it wasn't a big success because they then had to wait, you know, 16 more years before anything really got done. Um, so, and even Obamacare was not as progressive as Obama and his team wanted it to be because they had to negotiate with Congress so they didn't include a public option and there were other regulations that they didn't get put in it. And also it was really funny because you would see people, um, they'd be against Obamacare, but then you'd give them a list of things Obamacare did and you'd be like, oh yeah, I like all of those. Um, and then, you know, the official name is the Affordable Care Act and people would rate the Affordable Care Act higher than Obamacare. Um, so, but you know, Trump still tried to appeal Obamacare even though most of it was pretty popular, but he couldn't get the votes to do it. Um, because I think, you know, when people started looking at the nitty gritty of what getting rid of the whole bill as a whole would do, there were, even if they didn't like the whole thing, there were lots of parts that were pretty good that were kind of hard to replace without getting rid of all of it. Yeah, and in the Trump interview that actually happened with Fox News the other day, Trump had actually said that when he plans on repealing Obamacare, he's going to be implementing it with a new system that's going to be rolled out in like two-ish weeks by Congress. So I'm not sure if that's necessarily true or something, but Trump has said that he's going to be implementing and suggesting a new system as an alternative to Obamacare in like a few weeks. Interesting to see if he can succeed where he failed three years ago. Also, will it really be a success? <laughs> mm -hmm. And now if we kind of look at the current landscape where once again, I suggested that Americans are paying like way too much for basic medications and basic services, Trump actually tried to change this. And th I'm not sure if this was more of a PR stunt or a, just a campaign idea to like try to boost his uh, reputation before the election comes on. But Trump threatened to basically introduce drug price controls on the pharmaceutical industry. But when you actually looked at the specifics of what he had in mind, none of it was actually like designed well to the point where it could be applicable to the pharmaceutical industry. And it was all actually kind of irrelevant. So it's more of an idea that Trump is saying that he's going to do this, but when he actually gets reelected, that's not really going to happen. Yeah, there was, there are some strong words, but there wasn't anything that was really designed to be enforceable. Mm -hmm. um, and he also said that he was looking 
to talk to the pharmaceutical industry on a deal. Um, but there's no really evidence that anything would come from that conversation either. Yeah, and there's also no reason to kind of believe that that policy would necessarily pass Congress because almost every member of Congress gets lobbied by the pharmaceutical industry. So no matter how golden the policy might look or just like how amazing it might sound, it's never actually going to like pass through Congress. And that's why like price controls themselves while in the books might seem like a great solution in reality they might not even really happen yeah if uh if congress is going to be playing an active role in setting the prices like on a yearly basis um i wouldn't be sure i you can necessarily trust them to do that objectively Mm. Um, but on the other side of the aisle there are you know bigger plans to address healthcare besides from just um you know this narrow sort of price control idea. And those are, you know, obviously what Bernie Sanders popularized, uh, Medicare for all. And then there are a variety of ideas for more moderate Democrats, such as Joe Biden, who just want to expand on Obamacare and the Affordable Care Act. Yeah. And for Sanders style of Medicare for all, what it would kind of do is that it would expand coverage to dentistry and basic like eye checkups and kind of stuff, and basically eliminate all out-of-pocket expenses. And the way that he plans on funding it is not fully disclosed right now. He has a few options in mind, but the reason why he's kind of doing this is to make sure that the legislation is not locked to one area of funding. So just because like a few congressmen might oppose this way of funding doesn't mean like it's not a good idea overall. Yeah, he's, he's kind of just trying to keep his options open, I guess. But the unknown is when push comes to shove and he actually has to figure out where the money's coming from, where it's getting moved around, will he or will progressives in general be able to get enough support for any of the funding mechanisms or any of, you know, the potential cuts and transfers, which really remains to be seen. It would take, um, you know, a ton of support to get that done and fully funded, which is more or less what Biden and the moderates are so, argument is, is, look, it might be good in theory, but we, we're not going to get the votes for it, and we're not going to be able to get it set up, so that's why we need to do a more moderate thing, which is why with Biden's proposal, it's uh, basically you still have all the exchanges and marketplaces that Obamacare sets up, but you're going to be given more subsidies and support um, to be able to buy better insurance, and they're going to make it just easier to enroll in insurance in general. And with the Sanders style of Medicare for all that he had suggested, so when he had first suggested it, like back in the early 2010s, he had like zero support for it, actually. He had like no one standing by his side. But over the years, it's become more and more popular. Right now, he has like 30-ish senators on his side. And obviously, you need like a majority. And especially if you have like a Republican president, you're going to need like more than a majority, obviously. Yeah. So like even though it's becoming more and more popular of an idea, there are still definite obstacles there if we're trying to go for like the full on Medicare for all style instead of just Biden's like, hey, we'll get there slowly. So all Biden's really ever said about Medicare for all is that he doesn't think it's feasible um, politically. So Biden really cares about in terms of healthcare policy, what he thinks is possible which, you know, people in favor of that would say he's thinking, you know, practically. Um, yeah. But people, you know, opposed to that would obviously say he's, he's limiting himself. Why not try for the best option if, they, if he thinks the other one would be better? 
I mean, at the end of the day, you don't want to go like so far that you never have any reforms in the healthcare industry ever again for years and years to come. So it's definitely a mess. So do you have any final thoughts, Donovan? Um, so a, a single payer system would have a lot of efficiencies in terms of you, you wouldn't have to duplicate different forms for sending to different companies because uh, it would all go to, you know, one set of offices. And it would, it would be easier for people to not have to worry about making that purchase and navigating it. It would be easier for companies too, except for insurance companies, which wouldn't exist. Um, however, it would create, you would need to finance a lot of change. And even if the argument is that it would be more efficient and end up saving money for better care, but setting it up and getting money in the short term still has complications that need to be addressed. And I'm not sure that many of the people in favor in the Congress have actually given firm promises of how they're going to address those complications. Yeah, I mean, besides like the political, just like obstacles that are in the way, there's also going to be a bunch of financial obstacles. There's going to be an overhaul of basically the entire system. So it's definitely going to be difficult to implement because there's so many different areas that lobby Congress and there's just so many people that you have to please when implementing such a large piece of legislation, whether it's Biden's or Sanders. Yeah, especially since uh, another thing on this is that one of the complaints about the current healthcare industry is that it's so uh, like expensive and convoluted, but because of that, it plays a really large role in our economy. So shaking up the healthcare industry throws a whole lot of complications to all sorts of other parts of our economy. Yeah, definitely. Well, this was our two cents on the Medicare for all and get the government out of your <laughs> Medicare <laughs> situation. So it was really nice for you guys to tune in to our third episode of In Case You Missed It. And we hope you have a great week and can tune in next time. Thank you. Bye.